0: Welcome and salutations to Den of Utaku, Den of Geek's official anime discussion series where we break down anime, Japanese pop culture, and just basically all of the biggest developments in the industry. I am Daniel Curland, and in this episode of Den of Utaku, we're going to set sail and look at Netflix's live-action One Piece anime, but kind of a broader scope at the live action reputation with anime in general, why this has typically gone so poorly, and what Netflix has done to set sail for success while other shows have kind of just sunk. In addition to that, we'll take a look at the latest Mobile Suit Gundam series, The Witch from Mercury, which has kind of caused a bit of controversy after the studio has backpedaled on the one decision that's kind of made the show so successful in the first place. In addition to that, we'll have new editions of Release the Hounds and the big three. And once again, Deno would just like to thank G Fuel for being our sponsor. Now, if you're an anime fan, you've likely been curious to check out some live action anime movies or TV series. The problem is these have typically just been so awful. There's been, you know, Dragon Ball Evolution. We have Ghost in the Shell. There's the Netflix Cowboy Bebop and Death Note productions, and what's really disappointing about these is not only do these live-action versions of anime kind of fail to understand what made the originals so successful, is that they even, like, make the original fandom embarrassed to be fans of these things in the first place, which is not what you want. And... You're kind of starting to see a trend change here, much like what's gone on with video game adaptations. We have The Last of Us, we have Twisted Metal, even the Super Mario Brothers movie, and how they've rewritten the narrative that a video game adaptation is destined to fail. We're starting to see the same thing happen with live action anime, this medium that was forever accursed, and now it kind of seems uplifting that this might be viable opportunities for people to tackle this. So. The thing to be aware of here is what's different in Netflix's live-action One Piece series is that they've worked exclusively with the creator of One Piece, Aisrael Oda. They've really worked hard to make sure that he's included rather than taking the creator out of the equation, which is what's happened with a lot of these other live-action series. Now, Netflix's One Piece also has a huge budget. It's one of the most expensive TV series ever made. It has a budget higher than... Than uh, Game of Thrones, it's it's on par with Stranger Things. So money is obviously going to help, but the real key ingredient is that they've worked so hard to confer with Oda and make sure that things are up to his approval. He's vetoed certain sequences they've done and made sure that they've done reshoots. And it's really important that there's collaboration with the creator of these series because ultimately that's what made fans interested in these things to begin with. And I don't know why but it's been so bizarre to kind of see previous anime live action adaptations not try to coexist with their source material, but almost augment them and replace them. And it's as if people don't want to watch anime or they don't want to read manga and that their english version of this is the definitive be-all end-all which is an asinine perspective you shouldn't be appealing to completely new audiences but you know a lot of the people that are going to watch this are fans of the original in the first place i mean Adam Wingard, who did the Death Note adaptation, he's a great filmmaker, he knows what he's doing, but at the same time he tried to Americanize Death Note, he made Light Yagami, Light Turner, and that kind of just opens a bigger can of worms of how you can have live action anime productions that totally whitewash the cast, you can have the reverse perspective where they have a full Japanese cast that might not pop with international audiences. One Piece has been very careful with their casting where they've cast a wide net that isn't one or the other and kind of includes everyone, and again, they referred to Oda and kind of talked to him with what he wanted in this series. So. Netflix has really kind of set a new model for how to do a live-action anime, right? And there are a few other examples that have, you know, done some impressive work and kind of got fans' attention. We have the Speed Racer movie by the Wachowskis, and we also have Alita Battle Angel by um, Robert Rodriguez and James Cameron. And what's different about those and what they're doing that's similar to Netflix's One Piece is that the Wachowskis... James Cameron, Robert Rodriguez are fans of anime, you know, there's so much anime DNA in the Matrix. When James Cameron made the show Dark Angel, it was explicitly pulling from Alita Battle Angel. And these are people that aren't only fans of anime, but clearly respect the stories that are being told by the creators. And whether they've worked with them specifically or just kind of taken their themes, it's been... Successful in that front and it's kind of further proof that if you want a live-action anime film to work You shouldn't be working against the source material, but trying to create a product that exists alongside the original that it's not meant to replace it But to prompt curiosity that if you like this maybe check out the anime maybe check out the manga and that's what one piece has done So well, it's really lit the fan base alive and so many people that might have never checked this out before are now interested and not only is this encouraging for the future of what can go on with live action anime adaptations you also kind of just see the visual language of anime spilling over into mainstream blockbusters i mean jordan peele's nope has a lot of this going on. There are shots right out of Acura that are put into it. In Michael B. Jordan's Creed 3, you have a lot of anime stuff going on there too. So it's very exciting to see the the tide kind of turn here, much like in the same case of video game adaptations, where not only are we getting more positive live-action anime films, but that the visual language of anime is becoming omnipresent in big movies, not just small indie films, but big tentpole blockbusters. And what Netflix has done is is very exciting. They have more live-action anime on the way. There's supposed to be a live-action My Hero Academia coming out. There's a live-action Yu Yu Hakusho coming out. And it should be interesting to see if they take notes from One Piece and are following example, or if they kind of break this trend and regress like what we've seen in the past. So, what we have right now is a very encouraging future, and it should be interesting to see if One Piece, what they've done, is enough to fully change the tide here and, you know, usher in a whole new line of live-action anime movies where it's no longer something that fans automatically write off, but something that can make them actively curious to check this out, and if they like the anime, watching a live action version isn't going to to feel like it's destroyed their passion or just ruined what they loved in the first place. Hey fellow otaku, I have something very serious to ask you all. Have you ever dreamed about going Super Saiyan? How about having enough energy to power through your workday? Well, G fuels got you covered either way with their Zero Sugar Dragon Ball Z collection, available in ready-to-drink cans in a powdered energy formula. This officially licensed collab includes Strawberry Lychee Kamehameha, the all-new and chaotically tangy Evil Emperor Berry medley, Gohan Blackberry Tea, Pineapple Ginyu Force, and Super Saiyan Lemonade. All these flavors are now available as a powdered energy formula at gfuel.com. Warriors on the go can also pick up G Fuel Strawberry Lychee Kamehameha in ready-to-drink cans at the Vitamin Shop and in all-new 30-serving tubs exclusively at Walmart. All G Fuel Dragon Ball Z products have 140 milligrams of caffeine per serving and are loaded with vitamins and antioxidants for game-changing energy and laser focus. Plus, G Fuel Energy is zero sugar, so you can charge up your power moves with zero jitters and zero crash. So that means you're not going to need to perform some random Kaoken attack in the middle of a business meeting. Die, okay. Shop G Fuel's Dragon Ball Z collection now at gfuel.com, where you can use code Utaku. that's O-T-A-K-U, to get 20% off your first order for a limited time only. Remember, G Fuel, the number one zero sugar energy drink of gaming, anime, and pop culture. Another Den area of fascination is the Gundam franchise. Gundam is a prolific anime franchise that is practically synonymous with the mecha genre. It's been around for decades. And basically, if you've seen a mecha series, you've probably seen Gundam. And what's interesting is it started out as a very serious space opera where you have people fighting in space, you have political corruption, and just like a very self-serious, approach to giant robot combat but over time we've seen kind of gundam evolve it's embrace different genres, it's willing to break out of its shell in a way that's been encouraging. And while Mobile Suit Gundam isn't explicitly an LGBTQ plus series, it has kind of resonated with this fandom in a way that they've been able to take certain coded aspects of the show and embrace them and feel represented in scene. You know, there's a lot of Gundam series that have characters wearing masks as a way to conceal identities, you have Gundam Wing where there is so much male-male shipping going going on and even if this kind of coded characters aren't front and center in Gundam series the fandom has been able to latch onto that make it their own and do exciting things with it so a big deal with the latest Gundam series, The Witch from Mercury, is that it seemed initially that it was breaking a lot of Gundam norms. To begin with, it's kind of set in a school and evoking like a slice of life school setting, which has not been done in many Gundam series. And it also has two female protagonists. And basically, one of these characters gets in a duel to win the other's hand in marriage. And you have these two female characters that are ostensibly engaged over the course of the show. Now, this was a big deal deal when The Witch from Mercury came out, and it brought in a lot of people that would have never watched a Gundam series before. And at the end of the day, that's very positive, you know? Audiences feel like they're being represented in scene in a way that was never really done in Gundam before, but what has been very surprising is now that The Witch from Mercury is over, there was an interview in Gundam Ace Magazine where one of the voice actors for these characters basically alluded to their characters being married. And at the end of the series, we see these two female characters with what appear to be matching wedding bands. When the show ended, their marriage was trending on Twitter. There's been a lot of confirmation that these two characters are a couple romantically and that they're married, even if we don't explicitly see their marriage in the anime. Now, what's interesting is after the Gundam Ace interview magazine, was published online after its digital publication went out, All references to this marriage were edited out. Now, the excuse that was given was that it was a proofreading mistake and that some editorialization was being taken, but that really doesn't seem to make much sense when you look at all the evidence in The Witch from Mercury when it's talking just about how these two characters are a couple. And what's upset the fandom so much is that they kind of feel like they've been manipulated into make The Witch from Mercury a success, and it is a success, it's one of the biggest kind of series ever its toys are selling so much like it's really found a lot of success but now that the show is done and successful these fans that finally felt represented are feeling like they've been discarded that their interpretation of the characters doesn't matter anymore and now that this show is a success they're not needed and basically been gaslit to think that like you've interpreted this product wrong, even though everything in The Witch for Mercury has been confirming this kind of relationship the entire time. And it's really unfortunate. I mean, the fans are furious. There have been death threats made to the studio and stuff, and people have really been getting out of line on this, but in a way that is understandable. And. It's just unfortunate that with how forward-thinking Gundam can be, and that if any mecha series was to take a risk like this, it should be Gundam. I mean, they have the legacy, they have the reputation, they have the fandom to do something like this and really not lose anything in the process. I mean, if it was a smaller independent series, this might be an issue, but Gundam has, you know, the infrastructure to make this work, so it's even more discouraging that they had a series that seemed to be really queer-coded and positive, and now that it's out and finished they've kind of erased all that called the fans wrong and are just going back to what's worked in the past and it's a really big deal i mean this is still the latest gundam series so it's unclear if these characters will return in the future if there's more to be said with them and if they might find a way to redeem themselves i I i think that's unlikely though like it really does seem like gundam is just going back to what's worked and aren't interested in any more witch mercury even though you could get a movie out of the show you could get more seasons out of this show but it seems like they just want to wipe their hands clean of the situation so it should be really interesting to see the future of gundam if they continue to avoid queer-coded characters or if there is a way that they can make amends for this or show that you know they might have been a little reactionary here and just not done the right thing that fans care about the most. So we'll continue to see where Gundam heads in the future, but for now, it's kind of fascinating that I've never seen a fandom turn so quickly on a show and that they took the very thing that audience loved about this show, erased it, and made the fans just furious in the process. It's, it's fascinating. Now, listen, do you, do you hear that? Yeah, yeah, I think that's the sound of the newest edition of Release the Hounds! What is Release the Hounds? Well, Release the Hounds is a Utaku segment where we kind of focus on physical media. Physical media is a big part of anime. Before anime was readily streaming everywhere, physical media was kind of the only place that you could see certain anime series, and there's still a lot of important physical media being released with anime. Some shows you can only watch this way. So in each of these segments, we're going to kind of just highlight some physical media that you might want to add to your collection. Maybe you didn't know that it was getting a physical release. We're going to talk about it and celebrate these things. So. First of all is Cromarty High School. This is an older show. It's only 26 episodes, so it's not super long, but basically it takes the anime trope of a high school that's full of juvenile delinquents and kind of turns this into a gag comedy, trope the main character in this show is kind of like a mute audience surrogate who's the least interesting character in it but he allows you to kind of just see the weird corners of this high school and how it works there's a gorilla in this high school there's a robot in this high school freddie mercury is in this high school so it's just so strange and weird if High school anime shows aren't necessarily your cup of tea. I think Chrome High School is doing something really different that can break from those past... uh Tropes and just do something different with it. It's so funny, and just if you want something to laugh at and don't really have to think too hard, Cromarty High School is the perfect way to do that. And again, it's only 26 episodes, so it's not a huge commitment. You can kind of get in and get out in a way that's really quickly. And it's on Blu-ray for the first time, so it is a bit of an older show, but it's never looked better than it does now. Another thing we'd like to highlight here is Space Captain Harlock. This is another kind of older anime that indulges in the space opera trope. There's a lot of space opera series that kind of just look an outcast crews that are stuck in space on a spaceship in the case of space captain harlock you have kind of like a star lordy figure chris pratt could definitely play harlock he shouldn't play harlock but he could if you wanted to do that you can make that happen but what's interesting is the the crew and space captain harlock are locked in a war against like a part plant alien species that want to return to earth to kind of reclaim it as theirs but there's just as much to appreciate in this show between the melodrama in character relationships that are going on on the spaceship so It's a good kind of space opera series that gives you big battles against aliens, but also understands how to get into human relationships and kind of see the smaller scale side of stuff and just spend some time with some really weird characters. Again, this is an older show that's kind of one of the prototypical space opera series. So if you've been curious about the space opera genre or if you've heard Space Captain Harlock before, but don't exactly know what it is, this is the best way to check it out. It's never looked this good before either. And Space Captain Harlock, it's worth your time. The final show we want to highlight here in Release the Hounds is Suzume. This is a more recent anime movie that's done by Makoto Shinkai. Uh, Makoto Shinkai is one of the best anime storytellers we have right now. He's done Your Name, Weathering With You. He knows so well how to kind of tell gutting, emotional dramas that will just make you ball your eyes out. But there's also such important environmental messages beneath it, supernatural messages beneath it. In the case of Suzume, Japan is on the brink of destruction. There's a girl named Suzume, who has the power to kind of lock doors that can end Japan from being destroyed, that it it kind of feels like the culmination of everything Shinkai has been doing with his career. It is a, a strong emotional melodrama, but also an environmental story that is relevant to today. There's a bit of a Studio Ghibli quality to it with Suzumi's partner who gets transformed into like a three-legged chair that is always running around. So it's got this like very cute aspect that hasn't been present in previous Shinkai films. If you like Makoto Shinkai, you need to watch this movie. If you don't like Makoto Shinkai, it still just tells a beautiful story that looks good. It was one of my favorite anime movies of the year, so it's just a really special story that's now finally available on Blu-ray. So again, for Release the Hounds, we have Cromartie High School, Space Captain Harlock, and Suzume. And now, according to my calculations, I believe it's time for the latest edition of The Big Three. What is the big three? Well, the big three is kind of our segment where we highlight random anime miscellanea. There's so much anime out there. It's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy for stuff to slip through the cracks. It's impossible to see everything. So what we do in the big three is kind of just highlight certain shows that you might not know about. Maybe you do, but don't know why they're interesting. These are all shows and movies that are going against the grain in a way that deserves some attention. So the first show we'd like to highlight is Space Dandy. Space dandy isn't exactly new but why i do think it's relevant to talk about now is it's created by Shinichiro watanabe who did cowboy bebop samurai shampoo but he also has the upcoming lazarus series on adult swim space dandy started on adult swim too on toonami so it's kind of a nice look to the past as we get ready for this new product that he's doing space dandy kind of feels like a parody of cowboy bebop in the sense that they both focus on an outcast crew of bounty hunters but in space dandy you have this character who has this like elvis pompadour going on and he's like a real himbo that um is just a, a real big fool it's a fun series that's very episodic in nature, so you can watch it in any order, you can miss episodes, and it's not going to really hurt. But what's so special about the show is that each episode kind of turns itself into a completely different genre whenever they go to a new planet. So one episode will be like a high school musical, another will be like a drag race, another will be like an existentialist Fellini film. There's a zombie episode where the zombie epidemic gets so out of hand that even the narrator becomes a zombie in the end, which is such a smart idea that I've never seen done in something before and was kind of the first time when I was like okay this is a show that needs to be focused on and paid attention to but Space Dandy is always just doing something different you can never peg what you're going to get in an episode. Another detail that's really special in it is they have a different animation director involved for each planet so it makes sure that the flora and fauna of a planet and the aliens on that planet look completely different in every episode because you literally have a different creative staff handling it every time that's such a cool element that takes a lot more work but i think it really makes space dandy pop and yeah it's just fun if you like playing around with genre storytelling and structure like it's one of the best versions of that but also just like a fun silly show that you can have fun with and it's um it's really not gonna you know, like, just have fun with Space Dandy. It's it's a fun show at the end of the day. Another thing we'd like to highlight in the big three is a program called Reborn as a Vending Machine. I now Wander the Dungeon. This is a ridiculous show that is making fun of the izakai genre, which is where characters get whisked away to a magical world. In this case, somebody gets taken to a magical world, and now there's suddenly a vending machine named Boxo. It is so stupid, but in the best possible way. I I'm not personally a big fan of the Izekai genre, I, I, I think it kind of, you see a lot of the same thing being done again and again, but Reborn as a vending machine, I now wander the dungeon, knows how to take like the piss out of that, but also use the tropes in a way where you can understand why people do like these shows at the end of the day. It's currently airing now, so you can still catch up on it, it's not like there's a huge amount of it that you're going to miss. And it's just like a really silly kind of uh, magical fantasy that... It, it, it's making fun of something very popular right now in the best possible way. And as someone that's not really into Izekai shows, it really got my attention. So I felt that was significant. Lastly for the big three, Jujutsu Kaisen's second season is what I'd like to focus on. Jujutsu Kaisen is a shonen series. It's part of the Dark Trio, which is uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, Chainsaw Man, and Hell's Paradise, which are all three shonen shows that kind of dabble in darker, more mature subjects matter. There's a bit of a horror vibe in each of these. In the case of Jujutsu Kaisen, this is a world that's invaded with evil curses. You have Yuji Itadori, who is a prolific curse user who wants to use these abilities to save the world from vile curses. When I saw the first season of this show, I liked it, but I didn't think it was necessarily anything overly special. It's like, it just felt like another Shonen series. And like, Demon Slayer is another great Shonen series, but at the end of the day, it's just another action show. It's not really breaking form. It's not really doing anything that you can't see in any other show. But Jujutsu Kaisen's second season starts with this extended prequel arc that shelves the main cast and focuses on a bunch of new characters. And it really got my attention in the way that It starts playing with nonlinear storytelling and shows that really anything can go on here. Suddenly the story is much bigger than it initially seemed. Now you don't know if you're going to be getting a story in the present, in the past, in the future. And that's just really fun. I've never seen a show kind of reinvent itself this way. And I went from someone that enjoyed the show to is now really invested in it and understands that it's trying to subvert shonen genre expectations by showing how big a story can be that non-linear storytelling is an important part of a way to reinvent itself and also just get more dramatic tension out of a story it's doing such fun things and it's really opened my eyes in a way that a shonen series hasn't in a long time jujutsu kaisen second season is currently airing right now so you can still catch up on it you can see what's going on and yeah it's just a really cool take on something that was already doing a good job that it didn't need to work this hard and the fact that it is is inspiring you see a lot of shows regress rather than you know Continually rise to the occasion, even after it's found a fan base. So, once again, for the big three, we'd like to highlight Space Dandy, reborn as a vending machine, I now wander the dungeon, and Jujutsu Kaisen's second season. Now, unfortunately, fellow otaku, that's all the time we have for this episode. Before I get Izakai back to reality, hopefully not as a vending machine. Genovutaku would once again like to thank G Fuel Energy for being our sponsor. We'd like to thank you for being our audience. And remember, Genovutaku will never lead you astray when it comes to anime. Until next time, space cowboys.